The Lord be with you. A reading from the conclusion of the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. The eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had ordered them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but they doubted. Then Jesus approached and said to them, All power in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Those final words of Jesus to his disciples in the Acts of the Apostles, really the continuation of the Gospel of Luke, are some of the most powerful words in terms of the history of the church that Jesus speaks throughout the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles. They are sort of his final commendation, his final rules, his final orders to his little brood of disciples. And they have a tremendous power in the life of the church. They're the words, especially those last ones, unto the ends of the earth, that make this little sect of uh, followers of Jesus into, into something much more than just a sect of Judaism kind of huddling in the hills of Galilee to a powerful force in the world even unto today. It all is wrapped up the urgency of bringing the gospel, bringing the story of Jesus, bringing his life and love, his mercy, his presence of God in our midst to every corner of the world is what made the church a missionary church, a church compelled to bring this gospel and to plant it wherever and wherever they could find themselves in every corner of the world unto the ends of the earth. That commission that Jesus gives his disciples before he leaves them, those final words he speaks to them, have had a tremendous power in the church and it's really why we are here today, so many centuries later in this faraway place, far away from Galilee anyway. That missionary urge, that compulsion to bring the gospel out into the world to the ends of the earth, has been something that's been a part of our church's life since the very beginning. It is what pushed those early disciples out beyond Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, into places like Athens and Corinth and Rome, and even in the case of St. James the Apostle, the greater, all the way to Spain, what is, was known at that time as Iberia. It was really the end of the earth as they knew it at the time. But in the centuries since, of course, it's also been the urge 
that has pushed the church to all kinds of other corners of the world, including our own. It's been a, a kind of an up and down ride, this missionary uh, adventure of the church through the centuries. Sometimes the church has been very oppressive in meeting new cultures and new peoples. It's not done well at all. Other times, perhaps more often, the missionaries of the church have been people who have been respectful and kind and loving, generous, in living with people, allowing them to recognize the power of Christ's light and love through their own lives. In the 19th century, it was one of the big missionary eras of the church. The Napoleonic Wars had ended. The church was bouncing back after all of that, and it was bouncing back greatly. The church was booming in the years, the early, through much of the 19th century in Europe. Little places like Belgium had all kinds of churches being built and filled to the gills, and their seminaries were filled to the gills, and their convents were filled to the gills. They had so many people who wanted not only to be priests and nuns, but they also wanted to be missionaries. And it was at the same time that stories were coming back from the far corners of the world about, about what was out there beyond Europe. And they were attracted mightily to it. So there was this one little fellow in the town of Ghent by the name of Charles John Sagers, who went to the seminary and had been caught by this missionary spirit of the times. And he had this great desire to go be a missionary, especially in North America. He'd heard the stories of Father DeSmet, and he wanted to go out there too. So he goes and joins a little seminary in Louvain, Louvain, Belgium, called the American College, my seminary, Father Mark's seminary. And he prepares himself to go be a missionary. And in those days, the way it kind of worked was these bishops from faraway dioceses would come and kind of look over the, the cattle, and they would pick the ones that they liked. And then they would adopt them, and they would pay their bills thereafter, and then that young person would be committed to go out and serve in that diocese. So Charles John Sagers got picked by Bishop Demers of Vancouver Island. It's one of the original French-Canadian bishops in the Northwest. And so he gets ordained back in Belgium, and then he goes off, makes the long, hard trip to Vancouver Island, to the little town of Victoria, which is nothing as we know it today. At that time, it was just a little muddy, miserable place with miserable weather and lots of bad things going on because, of course, it was a port city, a port town. So he lands in Vancouver Island, and he falls in love with the place. And he's a great missionary. He's out there working with the indigenous people, and he's building chapels, and he's doing all kinds of great work. But unfortunately for Charles John Sagers, he was also a very frail guy. He was a skinny little guy, had terrible health, and all of the hard work and the terrible weather in Vancouver Island was taking its toll on him. And as he's lying on his deathbed, so too the Bishop of Vancouver Island Bishop Demers is also lying on his deathbed. Who will die first? Well, Bishop Demers dies first. 
And then word comes from Rome almost immediately that Charles John Sagers has been made the new bishop of <laughs> Vancouver Island. So he says, well, I better get off my deathbed, which he does, and he begins the great mission of being the pastor of this faraway missionary land. And his mission, his diocese, was not just the island. It also included the coast going up past Juneau and included all of Alaska. And he saw Alaska as part of his Episcopal portfolio and he said, I'm going to go there. And he did. And he traveled up there and he began kind of doing his work and bringing the gospel to these faraway places. And what really moved him to do that was those words we heard in the Acts of the Apostles. To be witnesses to Christ unto the ends of the earth. And in his mind, in his imagination, there was no bigger end of the earth than Alaska. <laughs> so anyway, he's coming back from Alaska and he gets word from Rome as he's traveling that the Pope has made him the Archbishop of Oregon City, now Portland. So he's not so happy about that because it means he has to give up his missionary work in Alaska and beyond. But he's a dutiful servant, so he goes and becomes the Archbishop of, of Oregon City. And that diocese included all of Oregon, of course, not Washington, but Idaho and Montana as well. So he spends then a, a number of years, and he's traveling all over the place on horseback, and he's getting all the way over to these faraway places in Montana, Idaho, and they were just basically dust stops in the road, and he's visiting the Indian missions, and he's doing all this work, and he's writing about everything back to their little newspaper, their Catholic newspaper in Portland called the Catholic Sentinel. Long articles about everything he sees and everything he does along the way. So he really gets a kind of a big reputation because those articles then are tra traveling across the country and being picked up even in Belgium, translated. And so he becomes quite famous. Eventually he goes to Rome, <coughs> goes to Rome and he tells Pope Leo XIII, you know, I'm really unhappy. And the Pope says, how can you be unhappy? You're an archbishop. And he says, that's the point. I don't want to be an archbishop. I want to go back to Vancouver Island. I want to go back to Alaska. Please, please, in tears, he begs Pope Leo to send him back to Vancouver Island and let him be just a missionary bishop again. Well, that's unheard of. You don't become an archbishop and then go back to being a bishop unless you've done something wrong. <laughs> he didn't do anything wrong. But Pope Leo is so moved by his appeal. In tears, he finally says to him, yes, you can go back and be the bishop of Vancouver Island. And then the question arises, what are we going to call you? Are you archbishop or bishop? The solution they arrived at was, this is the only person in the history of the church to have the title of Bishop Archbishop Charles John Sagers. <laughs> so there he goes. So he gets back to Vancouver Island and Charles John Sager says, I've got to get back to Alaska. I've got to be the one to bring the gospel to the last corner of the earth. And what he had in his mind was what was common in the missionary kind of imagination at the time. That once every little bit of the earth is covered with the gospel, once we get to that last little end of the earth, then the kingdom of God will come in its fullness. And he was just megalomaniac enough to think, maybe I can be the one 
who will bring the gospel to the last corner of the world and then I will be the agent of God's grace and the kingdom of God will come. Won't that be wonderful? I know this because I read it in his own letters back in Belgium. It's not something he published in the newspaper, I don't expect. His secret thoughts. But anyway, so he plans his mission to Alaska. And he hooks up with a couple of Jesuit priests and they start planning and they take along with them this guy named Frank Fuller who was a kind of this lay guy who hung around with the Jesuit missions doing odd jobs and stuff. And he wanted to go up to Alaska as well. So they get ready and the four of them head up and they have a cook and, and, and all that sort of thing and they get their dog sleds and the whole thing and they're going to follow the Yukon all the way to the end. They're going to try to get to this little village called Nulato. Never been there myself, but I hear you can see Russia from there. <laughs> and they get, so they begin this terrible journey. It's the worst time of the year to be traveling in Alaska. It's getting colder and colder. Winter's coming on. And there's one problem as they get further and further north and heading further closer and closer to the, the village of Nulato. Frank Fuller is going crazier and crazier. The guy is, as someone recently coined the term, a nut job. And he is a poor guy. I mean, he's, he's, he's paranoid and he's kind of weird and he's strange. And they get to one place and finally the Jesuits say, We're, well, they, they say, I think we lost our cook. But their suspicion is that Frank Fuller took the cook out and left him in the cold to die. And they're saying, we're done. So they go to Charles John Sagers and say, we're not going any further. And Sager says, okay, I understand. It's getting terrible. The weather's terrible. It's cold. And they say, well, that's, that's a problem, but the bigger problem is Fuller. We're not going any further with him. And Sager says, okay, see you later, my Jesuit brothers. I'm continuing on. So he and Fuller continue on down the road, and they're down the road, down the river, I guess, more. And they're getting further and further out, and they finally are within one day of reaching the village of Nulato. And so they camp out along this river and it's just two of them and a couple of indigenous guys kind of traveling with them. And they pass the night and the next morning they're getting ready to, to make that last day's journey into Nulato. And so Sager is getting himself ready, the dog sleds are ready, the packing is done. He's bending over to pick up his mittens and put them on. Meanwhile, he doesn't notice that Frank Fuller has taken his shotgun, Sager's shotgun, and pointed it at him. He looks up and Fuller shoots him dead. And that's the end of Charles John Sager's. He didn't reach Nulato after all. But what was at work in his life was evident when news reached back to Vancouver Island and then Portland and then eventually the rest of the United States and back in Belgium that he'd been killed. It was stunning for the church that this remarkable man, this extraordinary missionary, this great priest and bishop, archbishop of the church, had been shot dead in cold blood. It was very much like how we reacted when John Kennedy was killed. It was just stunning.
shocked. People couldn't believe it. And, of course, Sagers, in his sort of missionary naivete, he really believed that if he could get the gospel planted in that last corner of the world, you know, he could bring on the kingdom of God. And that's kind of a naive belief because, because really what Jesus is talking about when he tells his disciples way back in the year 33 AD to bring the gospel and be his witnesses to the far ends of the earth. He's not talking about geography. He's not talking about getting the last little indigenous person in the last village in faraway Alaska or Asia or God knows where finally converted to the Christian faith. He's talking rather about a different kind of geography. Not the ends of the earth in a geographic sense, but the ends of the earth in a human sense. To the deep reaches of the human heart. That's where the gospel needs to be planted. That's where the witnessing to Christ needs to happen. It's not a matter of getting to Nulato, where you can see Russia. It's a matter of allowing our hearts to welcome the reality of Jesus Christ and his grace and his life, his love, his values, his compassion, his way with people, his mercy, his forgiveness, the very presence of a fatherly, motherly God in our hearts. That's what changes the world. That's what brings life to others. That's what allows the resurrection to be manifest in our world filled with so much death. Charles John Sagers probably knew that, but his imagination was sort of taken away by the attractions of Alaska, mosquitoes the size of B-52 bombers and all, and those awful flies that eat you alive. What a place. But it wasn't that that Jesus was talking about. It was the human heart. And the gospel has to be planted first here in our hearts before it can spread to the hearts of others. So then, what is Jesus talking about when he says, go forth and be witnesses to me, to the ends of the earth? Is he just talking to the church's great missionaries who travel to faraway lands and work with strange new cultures and peoples? He's talking to that maybe indeed, but far more he's talking to us, to be witnesses to the gospel by having the gospel in our own hearts and letting others, whoever we find ourselves with, see and know and come to love this risen Jesus, who is our Lord and our brother now and forever.